Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. The first three verses of this psalm point out David's confidence and attitude toward prayer and a method for praying. Verses 4 through 6 describe God's opinion of the wicked. Verses 7 through 8, David distinguishes himself from the wicked. Verses 9 and 10, he calls upon God to judge the wicked. And in the last two verses, he asks God to favor and bless the righteous. Let's all stand together and read this psalm in unison. Psalm 5. Together. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt Thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee, and will look up. For Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with Thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for Psalm 5. The majority of men in the history of the world have not had Psalm 5. They have not had the Bible. They have had no holy book, or they have had holy books by man's design. We are blessed to have the scriptures inspired and preserved to our generation, including Psalm 5. And we are blessed to have a heart that appreciates the Word of God. And let us pray in our meditations, in our hearts at this very moment, that God will increase our appreciation for His words. The first three verses describe the nature of prayer as David viewed it. He said, give ear to my words and my meditation, meaning that his words were not a rote prayer. 
There are those that teach their children, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. As long as you're thinking carefully about those words, that would be acceptable. There are those that pray, Hail Mary and our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But if you're not meditating upon those words, then they're merely rote repetitions like pagans. Notice in the first verse that it's words and meditation that we are thinking about what we are saying. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. New Testament worship is done in great part with our understanding. And so when we pray, we want to have our mind fully engaged. And so David tells us that in the first verse. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. These words that I'm forming with my lips are based on careful thought of my heart and my mind. Hearken, O Lord, to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. David identifies who his King is, and it was the Lord himself, and he was his God. And he asked the Lord to hearken to the voice of his cry. Now, when we cry, we usually get loud and we get intense. Because the Bible tells us that it is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And part of our fervency is crying unto the Lord. Whether that cry is in the meditations of our heart or in our voice, here it's in the voice, it's part of the fervent prayer of a righteous man. Verse 3, when? We've just looked at how. It's to be done with meditation. It's to be done with the cry. And it's to identify Who is our king and the ultimate authority in our lives? And it's the Lord. Verse 2 verses. But then we have when in verse 3. When should we pray? My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. A rule for your life should be to start your day with prayer. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning. It's mentioned twice. Now, David tells us in Psalm 55 and verse 17 that he prayed morning, noon, and night. But if there's one of those that is more important, it's to start your day with the Lord in this third verse. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. It's not just words that we utter. It's directing it to the throne of heaven. When you pray, it is a spiritual, mental exercise of directing your words up to the Lord. I will direct them to thee, O Lord, and will look up. If you have a lot of problems in your life, there's a tendency to look down. And all of us have a temptation to look horizontally. We get up in the morning, what do I have to do? We look at the house and see things that need to be done. We look at our job and see things that have to be done. But the Lord here tells us through David, I will look up in the morning. Because we look unto the hills from whence cometh our help, according to Psalm 121. This is what we ought to do. This is Psalm 5. Now the next three verses, verses 4 through 6, describe a different kind of a man who doesn't get up and call God his king, nor does he pray, nor does he look up in the morning. But here's what God has in the way of of feelings and attitude and works toward them. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. 
Neither shall evil dwell with thee. That's why I start in the morning, and my meditation is of thee, and I call you my God, and I start my day by looking up. Because you are a God that does not take pleasure in wickedness. And if I was to take pleasure in wickedness and come before thee, you would never hear my prayer. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. There are no sinners in heaven. Except sinners that have been blood-bought, washed, purged, sanctified, and justified by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They are called the spirits of just men. Thank you. Yes, made perfect. They're the only ones in heaven. Verse 5, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Every time we speak foolishly, we should despise ourselves. Because the foolish shall not stand in God's sight. Even our presidents will engage in foolishness. Our presidents will endorse sitcoms. Our presidents will crack unnecessary jokes. But the Bible says the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. The fools who have turned their backs on God and who live for their own bellies. And God hates all workers of iniquity. This is a verse that is unknown to most of the Christian world. God hates all workers of iniquity. You say, well, everyone's a worker of iniquity. That means God hates everyone. That is correct. Except those that He chose in Christ Jesus before the world began. Because if they're outside of Christ Jesus, then they're a worker of iniquity. It's not only He chooses to hate them, He must hate them. His holy nature must hate sin and sinners. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God hates the sin but loves the sinner. This verse tells us God hates the sinner. He hates the worker of iniquity. That's why it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is how God loves workers of iniquity. He puts the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ over them so that they are holy and without blame. Then the holy God can love these holy objects. That's what he's done through Christ Jesus. Yes, our doctrine is held by a minority in the world today. But thank God there at least is a minority and we're not alone. This is rare, but it's what the Bible teaches. I wish someone at some time would hold up Psalm 5-5 in the end zone of some football stadium. And let everybody open their Bibles and find what Psalm 5-5 says. That God hates all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. That's to lie. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. There's God's attitude toward the wicked. And so David, in the first three verses, sets himself apart from them. He calls God his king. And then in the next two verses, he does the same. Look at verse 7. But as for me, but, a disjunctive, a conjunction that connects sentences, but is setting one in opposition to the other. But, as for me... I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. I will come to worship you, knowing it is pure mercy that got me there, and it is pure mercy that will accept anything I do there. See, the wicked presume upon God. God owes me salvation. Haven't you ever heard them talk? If God hated sinners the way you describe, I don't want anything to do with that God. 
I've heard, I've heard that before. I say, thank you very much. That helps keep our separation wide. Because I don't want anything to do with your God that loves all men and sends most of the ones he loves to hell. Right, right. What kind of love is that? Praise God for the truth. But as for me, I will come into thy house and them all to thy mercy. While they presume upon God, we know that it is only by mercy that he can accept us and receive us. And in thy fear, that is, I will fear you, O Lord, when I enter your house, and I will worship you acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This is David, and this is the way we want to live, and this is the way we want to pray. As for me, I'll be different. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. I want you to notice three things from this seventh verse. We do not presume upon God, but we go trusting his mercy, knowing that it is only by mercy that he would receive us. Two, we fear him, knowing that God only hears those that fear him. Three, we know that God is holy, and when we go into his house, it's his holy temple, so we better go there with holy lives. That's total contrast to verses 4 through 6. Verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Notice David's attitude toward his lifestyle. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. Not mine, but yours, because of mine enemies. They attack me, they question me, they slander me. Lead me in thy righteousness. Make thy way straight before my face. I want to see your way clearly. I want to live the way you want me to live. Is this how you pray? Is this how I pray? This is how we ought to pray. We acknowledge that God has no pleasure in those that play around with sin. And we identify what He is looking for. Us hoping in His mercy. Us fearing Him. And us coming into His holy temple and asking for His righteousness and our direction into those righteous paths. Back to the wicked in verses 9 and 10. And his prayer, his imprecatory prayer against them. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. I want to be righteous and speak the truth. And you lead me in that path, Lord. Because there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. And he goes on to describe their throat as an open sepulcher. A grave that's been opened. With rotting flesh there. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. This is David's prayer against the, the wicked. But then look at he said, we have another but. I love the butts of the Bible. There are, listen, a sermon could be preached from the butts of the Bible. Amen. The inspired and preserved butts. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord, for putting a but into our lives. Amen. But... If it had not been for the Lord, we would have been like the wicked. We would have been equal to the wicked or worse than the wicked. But if it had not been for the Lord Jesus Christ saving us from our sins and making us holy and without blame before Him in love. So here we have another but. But in contrast to verses 9 and 10 about their wickedness and God's judgment of them and destruction of them. But... Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Lord, make a discriminatory choice in your dealings with men. Destroy the wicked, but 
Favor the righteous and cause them to rejoice in thee and to know that their trust in thee has great reward. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy by you always blessing and favoring their righteous causes because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee because you deliver them from their enemies. You show yourself strong on their behalf. You reach forth your right hand to deliver them. Do that for them, O Lord, so that they can rejoice. While you're reaching forth to smash, to smash the wicked, reach forth that hand to bless the righteous. Let them see you defending them so that they can shout for joy. For how long? What does it say? Forever. Let them ever shout for joy. Verse 12, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. A shield, a curved shield. You don't need a shield that goes all the way around you. Hopefully you're not fighting enemies by facing them with your back. You have a curved shield that protects you on three sides as you're compassed as with a shield. Protect the righteous, O Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Notice how David identifies God's hatred of the wicked in the middle of a psalm like this. He tells him when he's going to pray, how he's going to pray. He asks the Lord to make a great difference between the wicked and the righteous. And this is how we ought to pray. David gets up from a prayer like this, and do you know what he does? He goes out and slays his enemies. He goes out and his enemies slay each other. And the Lord returns him to his throne. Absalom had him totally outnumbered and beaten. But Absalom hung in a tree by his hair and had his heart pierced by three darts from the hand of Joab. King Saul hated David and was one of the enemies of David. A profane man. But the Philistines slew him on the battlefield. God always delivered David and this is how David prayed. May this be the way that we pray. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the truth of the fifth verse. We believe it. But we also believe the truth of all the other 11 verses. Help us to pray this way. Teach us your ways. Lead us in thy righteousness and make your ways straight before our face. And let us come into this house in the multitude of thy mercy, fearing you and knowing that we are in your holy temple. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Brother.